0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net.
1: Morning, church. How we doing? Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Last service, I had it in my mind to tell a joke at the last service and look at everybody and go, you guys look a little bigger. And then my filter kicked in right before I said it. And I was like, "Don't, don't say that. And so... Bronwyn be proud. I didn't do it. Um, Happy Thanksgiving to all of you guys. If you would grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians while you're turning there. I do have a couple of announcements for you. First off, uh, ladies Christmas celebration coming up December 11th at six o'clock. It'll be next door at the hub. That's our offices right over there. And um, this year, we will be using that event to benefit the Pregnancy Center and the on-track mothers here in town. So it's an outreach opportunity as well. No sign-ups, but no child care uh, either, so, uh, but all... Females of all ages are welcome. So bring your daughters, dads, stay home and watch football with the boys. Amen? So um, that's on no, December 11th, coming up here pretty soon. Also, um, volunteers needed. We still have need for a lot of volunteers in the following areas. Production crew, which is the setup and tear-down teams kids ministry, preach it, and production manager, which is sound, stage, lighting, things like that. And um, this morning, actually, um, we were so short-staffed that as we were trying to start the service, they were just finishing setting up some of the chairs and stuff. It was kind of a mad scramble this morning, which it's a holiday. I get it. Some people are out of town, but Um, What I told those guys, I'll say to you too, we have people tell us all the time, like, it just seems like everything's covered and everything's taken care of, but it's sort of that duck analogy, like all graceful on top and then furiously kicking behind the scenes. And so we desperately need help. Um, So if you could help us out with any of those, please just stop by the connection desk on your way out. And uh, we would love to get you guys plugged in and have some assistance in there. And then also, um, today is Christmas stage decorations after church today. Um, We got a bunch of trees and a bunch of lights and we're ordering some pizza and just kind of having a little Christmas party of sorts here. So if you can hang out and volunteer and help us out with that, we would be greatly appreciative. Um, One last thing. As you guys know, the last few weeks we've been uh, trying to get back to what we used to do a long time ago where we would give books away to kind of highlight um, different authors or different books that have really been a blessing or things that we feel would be a blessing or important to you guys. And uh, this one is one of my favorite ones actually to give away. One of my favorite books that I read, it was actually the, whoever decides these things like one of the christian books of the year last year um anybody start feeling busy this time of year anybody amen a few of you yeah no mitch you do not get one of these okay so um but right behind you does will you give this to rachel and she can fist bump me later. So uh, there's that. But um, Kevin DeYoung is a pastor that I, I love and respect. And he wrote, a, um, he wrote a great book about just this season and how, or not just, I'm sorry, not just the Christmas season, but busyness in general that I feel is really applicable this season. I was just talking to Aaron before service and uh, Aaron and I are leaving tomorrow morning to fly up to Seattle for a couple of days for an Acts 29 gathering, and uh, then I come back, then Thursday night we have our staff Christmas dinner, and then Friday I gotta go to, see, go to Portland for school all day, and then Saturday is all day studying, getting ready to preach on Sunday, and then preach on Sunday, and then Sunday night is the elders gathering and Christmas party that night, and you just get to a point, and then after that my daughter is a ballerina in the Nutcracker this year, so I basically wave goodbye to my wife and daughter for the rest of December after that, I think we get to see each other Christmas Eve at the service. Other than that, like it's just one of those kind of seasons. And for some of us that season we actually call life, right? Well, Kevin DeYoung wrote one of the best and he's a funny, witty, deep author and the book's called Crazy Busy, a mercifully short book about a really big problem. And he talks about the ideas of the rhythms of God and the importance of rest and how we can busy ourselves with so many things that we forget to just stop and be still and be blessed by the Lord in that. So you can come to get this if you are like, I'm up to here right now and I can't take it anymore and we haven't even put the tree up. If that's you, if your tree's already up, you don't get this book. okay? But if you're still in that point, if you're like right here and then remember our rules, right? you have to actually read it. And then when you're done with it, you have to give it to somebody else. Amen? So someone can come get this up here. We'll watch everyone rush the stage after service. Um, In the meantime now, Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And if you would, in honor of God's word, please stand with me. And uh, we're in a new section now. (laughs) We've been reading the same section. Oh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, stick your hand up. Just kind of wave it around like this. We'll make sure that you get one. It's important to us that you do. Um, we've been reading Colossians three through fourteen, um, or three through twelve, really, uh, the last few weeks, and now we're moving into a new section here. That is, uh, we're going to talk about how great it is and how important it is here in just a minute. But we're going to be starting today reading from verse eleven through verse twenty-three. Colossians one eleven says this: "May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father." who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became minister. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for these truths. But Father, as we're going to look at just mere knowledge, words, ceremony, or sermon without the power of your Holy Spirit is a total waste of our time and exhausting. So God, I ask that your spirit would move this morning. Lord, in many texts, you bring conviction or correction or direction. But Lord, I believe in this passage, you want to bring freedom. So may you set people free. May there be a giant collective exhale as we're reminded of these truths. And may there be inflamed love and passion for you, Jesus. May you show us who you are, what you have done for us, how we fit in, how this all applies. And may your spirit just move amongst your people, even, Lord, through the words of someone like myself. So I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today's the start of Advent. How many people grew up in church and remember Advent seasons and calendars and candles and all that kind of stuff? Yes, it's, it's actually, we're kind of returning to that in a lot of places. Um, the Advent season, um, is something that's been kind of part of high church and, and a lot of the denominational churches for a long time, but you know how we operate. We, we, people tend to do things on a pendulum, right? So when everything's all like churchy and high church, then the denominational churches busted out and they're like, we don't need any of that stuff. And so things like Advent got forgotten. But there's sort of a, a, been a resurgence of that actually in recent years and remembering um, the importance of Advent and how beautiful it really is. Advent, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's, it's the few weeks right before Christmas where we set it aside to remember the first coming of Jesus Christ and anticipate the second coming of Jesus Christ. And here at Heritage, we've done some Advent, uh, uh, what do you, Advent series, that's the word I'm looking for, Advent series over the past few years. I think we did one last year, if I'm not mistaken, definitely the year before that. And um, this year, I was kind of like, well, should we do that? Because this is the first week, if you're using your Advent calendars, you're behind already if you haven't opened that little window yet. But so I was like, should we do that this year? But then I look at this and man, we're going into a text that the whole point of it is to elevate accentuate show the preeminence of Jesus Christ and what could be more Christmassy than that I mean it's easy for us to get caught up in the Christmas season and and feel like man Christmas is all about the manger and if you're not in Matthew if you're not in Luke if you're not studying these things you're not even celebrating Christmas but a lot of times we can forget we're not just celebrating a baby we're not even just celebrating the baby but we're celebrating why the baby came And so here in this text, we go into the preeminence of Christ, a section of doctrine. It's meaty, church, deep, thick, maybe the richest doctrine possibly anywhere in the scriptures other than maybe Romans and Ephesians 1. Rich section of text. So we'll be trotting through it slowly, but I believe that these are things as we go through, we'll still be talking about Christmas. We're going to be talking about why he came. We're going to celebrate all these things. You guys, Sam just gave you a little little Christmas song teaser. It's coming. It's coming. Christmas trees are outside right now. They're coming, so don't freak out. There's are Christmas. But for us, Advent is going to be working through the, this passage in Colossians and looking at the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And to me, nothing's more Christmassy than that. Amen? Now, here's the bad thing. You might start thinking that I'm being redundant. And if you do, even today, as we're kind of preaching through some of these things, if you've been here maybe for a while, you might start to feel like, I feel like Jeff's just preaching the same sermon over and over and over. And in all fairness, the only reason that you feel that way is because I kind of am. That's kind of what we're doing. You see, several years ago, I had been a pastor here as lead pastor Heritage for two years, a pastor overall for about seven or eight years, depending on the months. And I realized, I don't think I've been preaching the gospel. Certainly not every week. I mean, we would do our thing at the end of the service, hey, if you need Jesus, raise your hand, and Jesus died for your sins, and we would talk about those kind of things. But when it comes to approaching the scriptures overall, and as I study these things, are we preaching the gospel to people, or are we preaching, like, how to live? Do this, don't do that, God likes this, God doesn't like that. Throwing in some Jesus, definitely talking about Jesus. But but what's the real emphasis there? Are we sending people home with homework all the time? Is that kind of what we're doing? And I sort of ran into a thing where I started to feel that way. And so we made a shift. And uh, at that time, our church, we, we even changed kind of the logo, if you will, of our church, the slogan. And you, if you see it, I don't even know what it's on anymore. Is it on there? Yeah. Heritage. A gospel-centered church. That's what we changed it to. And the idea being like we were going to make the gospel of Jesus Christ the center of everything. Every single thing that we do, and that it, it's a subtle change in some minds, but it's it's massive. And when we made that shift, um, it was it was a legitimate paradigm shift for us as a church. And I started hearing from people all the time. I started hearing people say, "Man, I don't I don't think I've ever really understood the gospel." And I've been going to church for years. I grew up in church. And I feel like I'm starting to understand the reality and the complexities and and the, the implications of the gospel in a way that I've never been able to do before. I talked with people that some of you were elders at the church. I was just plain old attending. You were my elders. And we had conversations about how this was blowing our minds in these brand new ways once we had made that sort of shift. And some of you might think, I don't see how it's even possible. I grew up in church. I've known the gospel my whole life. And if that's you and that's your church, praise God for that pastor. Praise God for that church. I don't know why you're here. You should still be there. Praise God for all of that, right? But, but that's not most of American Christianity the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, most of American Christianity is actually focused more on how to live, how to be. And, and I know this. I'm telling you, I, I've taught Christian school chapels. I've taught... Christian youth camps. I've led youth groups. I've led college groups. And I'm telling you, when you engage people on that level about the gospel and you start talking about the things that they understand and the things that they grew up in, you hear all sorts of things about how to live and live like this. And we don't do this and we don't do this. But when you get to the, the nuts and bolts of the gospel, what you tend to only hear is Jesus died for my sins, which is part of it, right? But it's not all of it. And if that's the only emphasis, if that's where you go with it, what you end up with, well, there's a theological or sociological name now for it. It's called moral therapeutic deism, moralistic therapeutic deism. And moralistic therapeutic deism is this. It believes this. There is a God. He created me. He created the world. And he, he has a certain order the way he wants the, the world to run. And what he is, pr- he is primarily concerned with, with me and with us as Christians is that we be really nice and good to one another and to people out there And that we obey what he does. And in the end, he's going to bring us to heaven. And now this part, no one would ever say that's actually teaching this. I don't think, I hope. But but the implication can come through is we don't really need Jesus on a day-to-day basis. We need to behave. And Jesus is over here if we need him. But particularly, we don't really lean on God, more or less, unless we get into a problem. Now, when I say that like that in that paragraph form, many of you would go, that's not me until you start thinking about the way you live. We might not say it, but all of us have done it. So here's the way that this would go down. I can remember when I was growing up, I grew up in a Baptist church, conservative Southern Baptist church. It wasn't an uber legalistic one, but legalistic. And the church that I grew up in was definitely bought into this idea of the moralistic therapeutic deism, like teach kids how to be, what not to do. I can remember in high school youth groups, backward masking was all the rage and they were telling us why we couldn't listen to any of our music because if you put a record on and spin it backwards, it was like devil stuff. Ridiculous foolishness now that we know, but it was, it was huge during that time, huge. And I remember that they would come into the youth group. They'd have people come into our youth group or even in front of the whole church at times and do testimonies. You guys remember those? Like really good, really important. But here's what would happen. The testimonies were always these lavish, insane stories about how people got saved out of the darkest, most disgusting, most insane situations ever. And the more, the more drawn out, the more incredible the story, or the darker you were when you started, the better the testimony was. That's the people you wanted on stage. Those people, right? So you would get some people up there and they'd be like, man, I was at a Bon Jovi concert. I had a needle in the vein. I was about to push the thing down and they started singing, living on a prayer. And right when it said prayer, it just turned out my mom was 3,000 miles away. She was praying for me in that moment. Right as I was about to push, I look up, John Bon Jovi's face just started to glow. And I saw Jesus and he said, what are you doing? You need to pray. And I was like, you're right. I took it, I squeezed it out, I put it, and I walked. I went straight to church, started praying, led a Sunday school lesson, baptized five kids that day. And you're like, Jesus is so good. And you loved it, right? You ever remember that? And then you start thinking, I'll never be up there giving my testimony. I just went to church. I grew up in church. And you would start to rank testimonies almost. You know what I mean? We'd be in youth group. Oh, this guy's got tattoos. His is going to be good. You know what I mean? Not judging. I found my tattoo. I'm going to get it done. But anyway, listen. This is reality. This is what we would do, right? This is the church that I sort of grew up in. And here's the idea. I would hear testimony after testimony after testimony of people being saved from demonic activity, drugs, alcohol, sex, relationships, money, abuse, all sorts of things. Never once did I ever hear anyone give a testimony about how Jesus saved them from church. Bet you didn't either. Maybe we should have. Here's the thing. You guys know what an inoculation is? Like to prevent disease? When they inoculate you from a disease, you know what they do? They're actually giving you a little tiny, tiny little bit of that disease. They're introducing into your system. It teaches your body how to fight I don't know all the bi- biology behind it all. I'm probably telling some of this wrong, but they give you just enough of the disease to keep you from actually catching the whole thing. And for some of us, that was church. We grew up, We learned when to say this, when not to say this, how to act, what to do. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. We learned how to be church, but maybe some of us, I know to some degree I was, inoculated from what it's really about. What we're really there to understand. What we're really there to learn. And what ends up happening is, if that's the case, you can teach people. We as kids or even as adults now could learn a pattern of conforming to what it looks like to be a Christian. But apart from the power of the Holy Spirit that makes any of those things actually possible. Which is exhausting. Exhausting. And so here's how it would start for me. So uh, this is a real song. I I ran this by my wife last night, and she was like, that is not a real song. I was like, you've never heard this? She was like, nope. I was like, well, you went to a better VBS than I did. But some of you do, because the first service, people knew it. How many people, when they were growing up, learned the Revelation 21.8 song? Anyone? There's some hands. There's a few. Those of you that haven't heard it, this was taught as as a kid in vacation Bible school or in Sunday school, right? Revelation, Revelation 21.8. 21 8 you know what comes next liars go to hell liars go to hell burn 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 that's a real song if you google that or go to youtube some of you are shaking your heads you even remember it now that i sang it don't you you go on youtube there's kids singing this song now imagine you're, you're just a kid that just showed up that day. Your buddies invited. You're you like, this is fun, man. We're playing some games. Sing-alongs. Hand-alongs. alright right, I'm in. Revel. Liars go to hell. Whoa, whoa, what? Burn, burn, burn. I am out of here, right? And then in that environment, in that legalistic environment where you're learning how to behave and not to talk about the things you do wrong, you start learning to be sneaky because you don't want to get in trouble. You hear stuff like that and you know what your thoughts are, man, if... If God hates liars, he's going to love me. Or, or just high school then. I'm a kid. You don't understand that, Jeff. You're just a kid. Okay, high school. High school camp. You know I went to high school camp? Grew up in church my whole life. You know I went to high school camp? Hang out with my friends, meet girls. That was it. That's why we went. All of you that think you're high school... I shouldn't ruin Jeremy's high school ministry, but... <laughs> That was it, right? So you go to camp and you're hanging out with your buddies and you're goofing off the whole time and you're trying to talk to girls and all this stuff. But then that last night comes, the last night. You know the last night. It's like campfire on the beach, you know, some bonfire, something like that. Teaching all week has been leading up to that moment. The girl you were trying to, you know, talk to or whatever, she actually talked, started kissing on somebody else, so you're already feeling broken and ashamed and all this stuff anyway. And then the youth pastor starts preaching, and the emotion's just right, and you guys know what happens. Everybody's just, uh, just bawling, remember? Just crying. When I get home, I'm throwing all my records, my Bon Jovi records are all going in the fire. All that stuff, right? And you get home, and you're like, you're excited, and your parents are so happy. This is the best church ever. They took my son to the beach and changed him. And you come back and you're just going to nail it for how long? A week? Maybe? And then you're like, okay, I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to be that partier anymore. All right, well, I'll just drive them to the party. That way I can be a light. And the next thing you know, within a couple months, you're exactly where you were before, right? And then you got guilt and shame. And your little brother comes home from church singing, be careful, little hands, what you do. And you're like, oh, not again. Now, I know in all fairness, that song does say, for the father up above is looking down in love. I know that. But growing up in the household I grew up in, if I lied to my dad, I didn't experience love in the moment. Did you? I experienced judgment. And so then you learn to be sneaky. I can't do this, but I have to play the part, and I don't want to get in trouble. That's moralistic therapeutic deism. That's what these things are. Okay, so, Jeff. At Heritage, when you made that shift, if you were to say you're preaching the same sermon over and over and over, and you're about to do it going through Colossians, what is it? I would say this text might be it. That if the core of our doctrine, what we need to believe and understand and walk in, it is in this text. This section of Colossians is so good. And so as we're going through this, I want you to constantly be asking yourself, and hey, especially if you came up in church, if you've been around church for a long, long time, because it's so easy to be inoculated. I want you to always be asking yourself, have I understood this? Is this what I walk in or am I walking in something else? Is this what I believe or am I believing this and something else? And the text says this, looking again at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness And transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The first thing to notice in this text is the first thing he says. He has delivered us. Who did the delivering? He did. That means this church, you are passive, he is active. Amen? This is his work. This is something He did, this is something he did to us. The people in Colossians and the people in Medford at Heritage Christian Fellowship are not a group of people who got their act together. We're not a group of people that pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and started figuring out the right way to walk. And at a certain point, God looked at Jeff and said, now he's got it. Come on, buddy, you're with me. In fact, maybe I'll make you a pastor one day. Look how good you're doing. That is not my story. That is not anyone's story in this room, contrary to what you may actually think. The scriptures say he has delivered us. We didn't walk out. Amen? Now, what is it he delivered us from? Because if you go into the whole testimony thing, right? Well, I, didn't, I wasn't in the back of an El Camino in Mexico getting another tattoo. Like, what did he deliver us from, right? He transferred us. From the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, here's where we're going to spend some of our time, this or most of our time this morning. This idea of the domain of darkness. Because if I say domain of darkness, you're thinking Hollywood horror movie. In fact, there probably actually is a Hollywood horror movie called Domain of Darkness. If I'm not, I'm sure there's got to be one, right? B movie at least. And and so we can go domain of darkness. Yeah, that's like Exorcist, heads spinning around. Or even if you're not going like full on demonic on that way, domain of darkness is like. Uh, sexual immorality, drugs, you know, that kind of stuff. That's domain of darkness stuff over there. And that's what he's delivered us from. But see, so most of us, that's not our story. So you could read this text in a certain way and think, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I didn't have that testimony. I grew up in church. I mean, me? Totally. Christian kid through and through. And when the doors of the church were open, my parents were walking through them. That's my story. So what does this mean? He has transferred us from domain of darkness. Here's what you got to understand. Anytime the Bible talks about darkness or domain of darkness, this is what it really means. When the Bible says domain of darkness, it means anything at all that takes the place of a dependence on God, whatever that is. Domain of darkness is anything that removes a necessity dependence on lordship of when jesus is taking out of the equation that's domain of darkness so for some maybe that is demonic for some there's cultist practices and pagan worship and all those things that is definitely domain of darkness right for others it is sexual immorality for some it's money but for some, we have, or you might have, <laughs> amount of resources where when trouble comes, you don't need to go to God because you have the money to try to go deal with whatever the problems are that are coming. So that becomes your savior. But here's, here's the thing. That's a domain of darkness if it's apart from Jesus Christ. For some, it's Relationships. My husband will be my God, my wife will be my God, or the husband-wife I'm dreaming of. That's what I'm longing for and living for, not Jesus. When the Bible talks about domain of darkness anywhere in scriptures, it includes the demonic, if you will, but it includes anything that takes the place of Jesus Christ and his dependence on us. And that also means, to some, being delivered from the domain of darkness means being delivered from church and morals. What I mean by that is this. The mindset, whether it's intentionally spoken out or not, that says, as long as I do this, 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 and this, and as long as I don't do this, 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 and this, God's okay with me. God's okay with me. I'm living the right life. I'm doing the right things. God's pleased with me. The problem is that that makes no room whatsoever in your life for a dependence on or a need for Jesus. And that is domain of darkness. You go, wait a minute, Jeff, that's way different than like demonic paganism or Satan worship. It's the same thing with a choir robe on. It's the same thing. No, let, let, let me put you this way. When Jesus was walking the earth, he came up against those who were living and nailing it, obeying the rules, obeying the scriptures, doing all the religious stuff better than anyone on earth, right? He came up to the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees. What did he say about them? Who, they were, there was no one that was better at doing and not doing than the scribes and Pharisees. You know what he said about them? He said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. You will never enter. That's domain of darkness. From domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. He's saying you'll never get there if you're relying on this is what I'll do and this is what I won't do. He won't do that. And, and lest you think, well, no, but I, I, maybe mine's better than them because they hated Jesus. And I love Jesus, so I'm doing well. Let's understand this. The scribes and Pharisees memorized the Torah. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. From memory. Now just be honest for a second. How many of you, at the beginning of 2016, started a Bible reading plan and you bailed when you got to Leviticus? How many? That's just reading. That's not memorization. Like, those guys nailed Paul. Paul says, hey, when it comes to the law, when it comes to obedience, he goes, I'm a Pharisee. And what he means by that is, you're not topping me. You're not topping me. And where did that lead? It led him to the point where he was murdering Christians believing that he was doing God's will. That's domain of darkness. It's the same thing. Listen, no amount of external actions will ever, ever get us there. Ever. One guy's with me, and I like, you you get this book. (laughs) No amount of external actions will ever, ever get us there. It doesn't work. And it's exhausting, Amen. So you know what it leads to? If you don't understand the gospel and bail on that altogether, you know what it leads to? The comparison game. Okay, well, I'm not nailing it everywhere, but I'm doing better than him. And so we start this sort of ranking, holier than now, And we might even spiritualize it by calling it convictions. These are my convictions. Romans says to have convictions. Yes, but Romans says that our comparison is God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of your next-door neighbor, Steve. No, God. And Romans definitely talks about not dividing over or looking down your nose on someone else over your convictions, thinking those are the things that make God like you better than him. Are you kidding me? That's not Romans doctrine. So we play this game, though, because we, don't, we can't do it right and we feel bad. But if we can find someone else that's worse then, we don't, worse, then we don't feel as bad. But we forget. Narrow is the path into heaven. Think single file door. We keep talking about this. No one's going in on a group plan. And you don't get to grab that person you're comparing yourself to and walk in with him and going, like that doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. So what do we do? Let me get this straight, Jeff. You're telling me that any of these things dooms us. I'm telling you, worse than that, I'm telling you that the idea of moralistic therapeutic deism, the idea of following the rules, the idea of playing the church part is every bit as dark and demonic as the other kind of licentious living. So let me lay it out for you this way. When you talk about domain of darkness in the Bible, there are two ways of thinking about it. One of them is, like we said, licentious, demonic, pleasure, I'll please myself. What's at the core of that? What's that the core belief that says, I'm going to live any way I want. I don't care what the Bible has to say. It's pride. It's a prideful, I know better than God. That's what the core, it's like this. So the Bible talks about sexuality. It says sex is to be inside a marriage, not before marriage. This is the way God designed it to work. Operating outside of that is actually a sin. The Bible lays all that out. Well, you go into the culture now and tell, the, tell most of the world that, and what do they say? And you're so old-fashioned. How 1950s of you, Jeff. That's just not the way it works. Well, what you're saying is, is look, I know what this says, but I I know better. I can pick a better plan. I know how to do this. I'll navigate this. Well, beyond the fact, like how's that working out in our culture right now, right? Talk to a counselor. Ask them how many people are lined up coming into their offices with either issues because of sexual sins that were committed against them or sexual addictions and problems that they're in right now. Go ask them. We don't know better. And we wouldn't say that, but we would live that way. I don't need to give honor to God in this. I don't need to obey God in this. I don't need to listen to God in that. I'll choose my own path. That's domain of darkness. That's licentious living. But the opposite of that is still the same. If you, if you go the other way, this idea of religion and legalism and obeying the rules is what? I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and I don't need you. I don't need God. I got this on my own. I will save myself. I will live a certain way. I don't need to be dependent on Jesus. I don't need to go to Jesus. I don't need to rely on Jesus. As long as I do what I'm supposed to do, we're cool. Well, that's almost putting God in your debt. Like I deserve God's favor because I'm living this certain way. But here's the thing. The root of both of them, whether it's sexual immorality or churchiness, the root is I don't need Jesus. I'll do it on my own. I'll find my own way. I'll do my own thing. Both are walking in the same power. That's domain of darkness and that's what the Bible says we're under. And so you go, well then. So you're saying if I choose my own way and I go with licentious living, I'm doomed. But then if I go, well then I'm going to just become a good church kid. and I'm going to start obeying all the rules. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. You're saying I'm I'm doomed there too? Yep, I'm saying literally, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Literally. Then then what? That's the beauty of this. The gospel is not that we go do. The gospel is that Jesus has rescued us from both of these. You've been rescued. Are you stuck in a rock in a hard place? If I do this and if I do this, yes, you're stuck. Paul says you're trapped, you're doomed, you're dead, but Jesus Christ has delivered you He's rescued you, not just from the pagan dark testimony, not just from the El Camino and Bon Jovi concert story, but he's also rescued you from killing yourself, trying to pretend that you're something that on the inside you're actually not. He's rescued us from that. He's freed us from that. And it says here in the text that he's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. He says in Romans that he has passed over sins committed. You're forgiven. You're free. But here's the thing. Don't miss this, church, because a lot of you are like, I get that part of the gospel, man. Forgiven. I get it. But here's the thing. When it says that he's rescued us from the domain of darkness, it's the idea of like, hey, Jeff, this isn't your neighborhood anymore. I know you've lived this way your whole life, whether it's the churchiness or whatever it is that you've been clinging to. This has been your life. This has been your savior. This is how you live. But Jeff, you're not with me anymore. I've rescued you from this kingdom. And now I'm moving you to this kingdom. And it's even... Oh, I could go off. It's even so much more than this, this just silly westernized interpretation of Scripture that would make no sense to anyone else in the world. How many of us remember the translation that says, in the Father's place are many mansions? You've heard that? That's not in the Bible. Just so you know, that's not what the Bible says. The, the early church would have had no understanding of what mansions, what are you even talking about? What it actually says, in the Father's house are many rooms. The idea is this, he's moved you out of this neighborhood and not just put you in another neighborhood, patted you on the butt and said, now go get him. He's moved you in. You're his son. He's brought you into his home. But what ends up happening for so many of us is we keep going back to the old neighborhood. We walk out of that house of grace and peace and hope and we go back to the old neighborhood and we start trying to live that way all over again. And he says, it's a domain of darkness. You don't live here anymore. That's why we we push down this so much. Here's what you have to understand. Look, go back to verse 11 in chapter one and look what Paul is praying for his church. And as you read these things, think about it. If you grew up in this kind of light, not the licentious living, but I mean, yeah, that too. But this kind of churchy, I'm going to do all this stuff and God will love me. Tell me if this explains how your experience was. Because for most of us, it's not. It says in verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Does that describe your experience, those of you that spent years of your life trying to follow all the rules to be a good church kid? Because it's not mine. I don't remember rest and joy and peace being strengthened. I mean, being, I remember being wore out. I remember laying in bed every night begging God. I don't even know if I'm saved. Please, please come into my heart again and again and again and again. you know how many times I have prayed to ask Jesus Christ into my heart over my life? It's unbelievable. I remember laying in bed and thinking that in heaven, the big screen's going to be up. And when I walk in there, they're going to put up on the big screen in front of everybody all the things that I really do, the person who I really am. And then everyone's going to know. And so I'd lay in bed in actual anxiety going, okay, What did I do today that I better ask forgiveness of or I am in trouble? There's no peace in that. There's no strength in that. You know what that is? Weak. That leads to frailty. That leads to exhaustion. That leads to just giving up at a certain point. When I tried Christianity, it doesn't work for me. I just can't do it anyway. Or if I can't do it, I might as well enjoy life here because hell's going to be terrible. So I better get some joy out of this life. And then finding that the licentious stuff just leads you into torment and torture as well. There's no peace in any of those things. This is why we push down on this stuff so hard and why we continue to do this. This is the idea. In their day, Paul's writing to this church to deal with false teachings that were coming that way. Remember first week we talked about the idea of syncretism. Remember I told you syncing your phone, that thing? And what they were tempted to do was take these different outside influences, because it was such a multicultural town, to try to take all these different influences or different religions and meld them into, bring them into uh, Christianity. So it became Jesus and. And the the two big ones at that time were this. Uh, Number one was the Judaizers. The Judaizers were Jewish people who were saying, okay, 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 Jesus saves, but don't forget, this is a Jewish faith. And even Jesus was Jewish. So you, Jesus saves, yes, but you also still need this, 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 and this. You need to do this ceremony. You need to be sacrificed. You need to go through this program. You need to do this, 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 memorize Torah, whatever the case may be. Well, That's Jesus plus. What it's saying is Jesus himself is not sufficient. Jesus is not preeminent. It's Jesus, but you still need some other things. It's not what Colossians teaches. teaches. The other influence was the Gnostics. The Gnostics at that time believed that all things on earth, all matter, like tangible, actual matter, things on earth were all fallen. And therefore, we should seek spiritual things and avoid that stuff. So any pursuit of any sort of pleasure on earth whatsoever was a sin. In fact, they believed that so much that they would even like starve themselves. They were kind of like early monks, We'll starve ourselves. We will, we will, in some cases, beat and harm our, our flesh. Because in doing that, we're showing God how serious we are about, we understand how wicked we are and we just want to be able to do it. Well, that right there is, don't do this, don't do this, starve this. Show God that you're serious about what you're doing. That's Jesus plus. That's Jesus plus, make sure you're not involved in these things. And neither one of these is the gospel. In each case, walking and living in that sort of lifestyle is we have been saved from the domain of darkness. We've been brought into his house, adopted as his sons, but we're going to keep going over here and playing in this old neighborhood. And the father's saying, Why? Don't do that. Why are you killing yourself? Why are you wearing yourself out? Why are you doing all this, man? You're, you're exhausting yourself. He doesn't want to see his kids laying in bed, scared to death, just begging God, please, Lord, um, okay, I was not nice to my sister. I was he wants us to instead lay in bed and just bask in the reality that our faith and our assurance of our salvation is in him. Like, I'm not relying on myself. I'm not relying on my record. When I go through, if you will, the figurative gate into heaven it won't be my resume at all that will be looked at. Whether there's someone with me that looks better or someone with me that's gonna be worse, when I get there, it's the resume of Jesus Christ and his righteousness applied to my life that will buy me admission into heaven and nothing else will get us there. And that's the reality, that is the gospel. When when Heritage was planted um, eight and a half years ago, I had an anxiety-ridden moment, as I am prone to do. Um, and and I just had this, like, why are we doing this? (laughs) I mean, in this valley, there's a lot of good churches in this valley and there's a lot of churches in this valley. So why do we need another one? That just seems silly separating friends from one another who might end up coming over here and, and we're just going to teach the same stuff. Why do we need to do that? Why do we need to go somewhere else and spend money on two facilities? Like, what's the point of all that stuff? And it, it just seemed like, what are we doing? But here's what I know for a fact. I know God has put heritage here in this valley to preach this sermon over and over and over and over. I am way less concerned with our kids' ministry teaching your kids about the do's and don'ts of how to be a Christian. I'm way more concerned with preaching them the gospel so that they actually are. And the same is in this room. Because, man, it's so easy to go back to that old neighborhood, isn't it? When you mess up feeling like, uh uh-oh, I better make sure I go to church this week or I'm going to have a bad week next week because God will just take it out on me. You ever felt that before? Things start going bad and you instantly go back into your history of the last week or two going, what did I do to deserve this? That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, listen. You can't make Jesus love you any more than he does. You can't. And if you're in Christ, church, listen. You can't make Jesus, love you any less than he does. He has poured his love out on you. Jesus went to the cross on your behalf and he drank the cup of the wrath of God for all of our sins. And he drank it all. He didn't go to the cross and now go, okay, you're saved, but now you better start behaving and make sure that you've showed me that you deserve it. Or if you, and I don't, and don't argue with me because I don't want to hear it. If you don't believe in eternal salvation, then you're even more scared because you're like, or I could lose my salvation. Jesus saved you on his merit and his merit alone. And now he wants you to be free. Free from sin. Free from licentious living. Free from pagan influences. Free from demonic stuff. Free from all that. But listen, free from the pressure that makes you feel like you've got to nail it all the time. Because he already loves you. He wants you to be free from faking it all the time and trying to act like you're something that you're not when in the inside you feel dead. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said of those rule followers, you're so polished on the outside, but inside you're a sepulcher full of dead men's bones. He wants you to be free of that. Between services, a a grandmother from Montana was here visiting us. And she was talking about the gospel to me afterwards. and, And she said, I'm so glad you preached that. People don't understand. They think it's their life in Christ. It's not true. It's Christ's life through us. And she's so right. The Bible makes no provision for you to live the Christian life. It wants the life of Jesus lived through you. And here's the thing if we don't understand the gospel, if we don't keep going back to this and realize how beautiful it is that God chose you, even though you don't deserve it, then you'll never really depend on him. You'll never really understand how and why he saved you. And you, you won't walk with him to the same degree and you definitely won't worship him like you should. And the analogy I use for this, I've used the same one for a really long time. And cause I like the show deadliest catch Crab Fisherman and Discovery Channel, and you guys watch that? It's okay, you're allowed to watch Church of Heritage, you're allowed, just in case. I don't know how legalistic your background is, we're fine with it. They beep the words, you're fine. But, but in that, listen, let me ask you something. How many of you are glad that we have the U.S. Coast Guard? A lot of you, right? Aren't you guys glad? It's good that they're there, right? Let me ask you this. How much time in the last week did you spend thinking about or being thankful for the U.S. Coast Guard? My guess is probably none of you. That's my guess. I mean, so glad they're there, right? If we get in trouble, they're there. So glad. But I don't need them today. I, don't, I won't need them tomorrow unless the plane goes down on the way to Seattle. We could use them maybe. But other than that, I probably won't need them. But, but it's good to know they're there if I get in trouble, right? You know who really appreciates the U.S. Coast Guard? Crab fishermen in the Bering Sea. You know who really appreciates U.S. Coast Guard? People who have been plucked out of the ocean by those helicopters. They've experienced the salvation. They realize how dire their situation really was and how there was nothing they could do to get themselves out of it and how out of nowhere this thing came down and pulled them up and they've been set free and they still send Christmas cards to the, to the U.S. Coast Guard and they are thankful for and they pray for. Guys, that's how we can end up being in the church I'm so glad I have God. I'm so glad I have Jesus. I'll think about him if I need him, or definitely on Sunday. But this week, it's time to go to work. And I'll just be a good boy. And I'll serve my wife. And I'll do the things that I need to do. Or I'll go to church and I'll do all the church things. But if I get in trouble, that's when I'll drop to my knees and turn to God. I would submit that you don't understand the gospel if that's the way your approach is to it, or you just forgot. Remember the truth. You didn't pull yourself out of nothing but God descended to pull you out. Jesus moved to you. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. He's adopted you. He's brought you into the family. Walk in that. That's the freedom Christ wants us to walk in. And let's stop going back to the old neighborhood. Stop going into that, I better live this way so I don't upset him. I better make sure I'm doing this because I don't want to, and what will people think? And It doesn't matter what people think about you doesn't matter what people think about me. It doesn't matter. All that matters is, am I an adopted son of God? And then keep your eyes on Jesus and worship him. And I promise you, you will feel peace and freedom. You'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Will you bow your heads? Can we bring the lights down guys? We're going to take an opportunity right now to just give you a minute to even just reflect on that. To just think about it. Don't let today go by without dwelling on that. Without going to the Lord and thanking him for his salvation. And if you're here and you've never experienced this salvation, here's your chance. What do I do? What must I do to be saved? Well, you're not jumping through hoops. You're certainly not performing or doing anything to earn salvation from God. All we are called to do is to understand the reality that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we are trapped, dead. Our sin and rebellion has destined us to an eternity apart from God, to death, to hell. But Jesus loves you. He humbled himself, became human. He lived here on this earth and lived that perfect sinless life that you and I had no shot at. He went to the cross and there on the cross, God poured out his wrath upon Jesus. The punishment that you deserved, Jesus absorbed. He then rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. And to those who put their faith in him, repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, you're not relying on your resume anymore. You're relying on him. You're relying on his goodness, his love, his grace, his work on the cross. You pledge that's where I want to put my faith. And you just throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ and ask him to save you. And he will. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes now just to ponder that and think. Sam's going to start singing. And when you get to that place, as you've pondered that sufficiently, however long that takes you, I want you to stand and worship. I want you to have joy. I want you to sing like you've never sung. Alistair Begg told us once, we got to meet him at the coast once, and he said, I can always tell when someone in my church has been saved, it's when they start to sing. Especially men. You see a man take his hands out of his pockets and put his hands up in the air. I know something's happened to that dear brother when that happens. And there's something amazing about it too, guys. Your shoulders can feel awfully big when they're down here, but if you ever notice, put your hand there and you'll see. They get really small when your hands are lifted. You are not intended to carry the weight of earning your own salvation or the sin and stresses of the world around. We are children intended to go to Jesus Christ, intended to go to God the Father and confess our dependence on Him. So I want you to meditate on the gospel. Thank Him for saving you. And then I want you to stand Sing like you've never sung before the glory of the God who has shown us mercy. Amen. God, I pray your blessing on this time. May your spirit move, awaken hearts and affections, bring life. May you set people free even in this moment. And God, may you hear our song as just a a, a song of gratitude for your goodness and your grace. May we depend on you more in Jesus' name. Let's sing. church had made this transition some years ago I remember where I was when it happened I was in Chicago at a pastor's conference and a guy by the name of Tim Keller was preaching if you want a book to read just I don't care what he wrote read it and he told a story that that was a picture of the gospel that just I've never forgotten I've shared it here before but it bears repeating he said back in those ancient days when you lived within a walled city And if you were attacked, if the city was to be attacked, it would go down a certain way. Imagine we all live within a walled ancient city and there's an enemy approaching. Well, as we got word from the scouts that this enemy was approaching, our king in our city would take our army and lead them outside the gates of the city to go to war on our behalf. And we would be waiting behind in the city, just anxious, awaiting news. And he would go outside the gates of the city to go fight this enemy that was threatening us. Now, the person returning was referred to as the gospeler. There would be a guy, a messenger, a gospeler, who his job, when the battle was happening, would be to come back and bring news of the battle to the city. And he would say one of two things. If the battle was going well, he would come back and he would say, good news our king is victorious our enemy is being vanquished you are safe you are free and when the king would return home there would be this parade there would be this celebration this jubilant joy filled celebration we were in danger but our king has saved us but if the king was defeated or if the battle wasn't going really well if the king and the army weren't enough then the man who came back this gospeler if you will who would come back to the city He would come back with instructions. He would say, okay, guys, it's not going well. Here's what we need. I need need men with arrows up on the wall. I need all the windows barricaded. We need all the children hid here. And he would have all these instructions, all the things we needed to do because the battle wasn't over yet. We were going to have to fight. And he was telling us how to do it in hopes that we would win. But ladies and gentlemen, people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have been rescued from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Listen, our King won on the cross. It is finished. It is over. There is no more work to do. There is no more instruction to be done. The only thing to do is praise our King and celebrate in the truth that we are set free. Amen? No, like you mean that. Like, amen? Are you, Does that feel good, right? So you sing. You picture that and sing this.